Today, wisdom from the book of Proverbs on Know the Truth. Sexual sin begins in the mind. I want you to hear that again. Sexual sin begins in the mind. Therefore, we've got to stop it where it starts, in the mind. If we give full rein to our thoughts, our mind will make choices for us. Our choices will develop character and ultimately our eternal destiny. Every day, we're bombarded by images, ideas, and ads that reinforce the world's skewed perspective on sexuality. And it's more important than ever to remember where temptation begins so we can be on guard. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues a practical series in the book of Proverbs where we're discussing a subject that's been a primary concern for thousands of years. If you missed the first segment, you'll find it online at ktt.org. Now with this message, talking about the birds and the bees, Here's our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. You and I are in a daily fight for holiness. You and I are constantly having the battle to maintain our purity because fleshly lusts war against our souls. If you're a young Christian or not so long in the faith and you're surprised that you're fighting with sin, don't be. Don't be. Because the Spirit of God is jealous over our spirit. And there's a war concerning who will have um, that proper place in our lives. It must be God. It must be his word. And therefore, you and I must consciously engage this issue so that we live under God's will and according to God's plan. And so Solomon writes to his son here and tells him, look, on this issue of sex and sexuality, I want you to think about three things. Number one, there's a call to submission. Solomon encouraged his son to avoid the arms and the embrace of the seductress, his first angle of attack is the heart. He goes for his son's heart. Turn over actually to Proverbs 23, verse 26. Here's this call to submission. He says to his son, pin back your ears. And he says, my son, give me your heart. Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow whale. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. The wise teacher here emphasizes that purity must be planted in the heart first and foremost. Solomon says, give me your heart. That's a Hebrew word that actually encompasses the whole idea of uh, the mind, the emotions, the will. Solomon is saying to his son, look, Regarding these three aspects of your personality and personhood, we've got to get them aligned. Your mind and your heart and your will have got to work in concert. And each of them have got to submit themselves to what I'm about to say. I'm going to set before you the path of wisdom which leads to life. I'm going to give you truth concerning sex and sexuality. And you've got to buy the truth and sell it not. You're not to experiment for yourself. You're not to take your cue from the culture. You've got to listen to your father. What I'm about to say, you've got to submit to because your purity and your ultimate satisfaction is bound up in you listening to what I'm about to say. So give me your mind, control your emotions and offer your will to follow what I'm about to say. 
Because listen, folks, a person will do on the outside what? They will do on the outside what they have committed themselves to on the inside. That's why the book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4.23, to guard our hearts for it is the wellspring of life itself. What you think about, what you allow your emotions to get attached to, will ultimately have um, a say in what you do. Therefore, the battle for purity, interestingly, is a, is, it involves a call to submission. Now go back to Proverbs 5, 1 and 2, and you'll see this repeated. I'll just read some of these verses, take some time to reflect on them later today. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. 5 verse 1, lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's bitter. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman. I want you to notice here the connection between what the father says and the law. Don't be thinking, as we've said, this is some kind of secular biological lesson that Solomon's giving his son regarding sex and sexuality. No, he's sitting him down, and the law and the commandment of which he speaks concerning the father and the mother is the law and the commandment of God himself. He's being bold, and he's being biblical, and he's being balanced here with his son, and he's calling his son to submit. Look at verse seven, uh, 1 of chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman. What's going to keep this boy from sexual temptation and failure by listening, remembering, acting upon what his father has taught him from the word of God? And here's what I want you to get from this. Men, women, young people. The first line of defense in the battle for purity is a renewed mind. A mind that's constantly being renewed by the Word of God, constantly being washed and bathed in the Scriptures. Paul says to the Romans, I beseech you by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world. Be renewed in your mind. See, ideas have consequences. Thoughts are important. You know, I need to think that through. You and I need to feed upon the bread of God's Word or else we will be reduced to a crust of bread by the immoral woman. Look at um, Proverbs 6, verse 26. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. If you and I don't think biblically and don't act theologically, if we don't feed upon the bread and the manna of God's word, we're opening our lives to the world. And if we are not careful, we can be brought to look like a crust of bread, our life will be in a shambles because we haven't submitted ourselves on a daily basis to the Word of God. We haven't treasured it up in our hearts, allowing it to shout to our conscience, to resist temptation, and to fortify our hearts and minds to say no to sin because we've got good reasons to say no. What's the point? The point is this. Sexual sin begins in the mind. Therefore, we've got to stop it where it starts, in the mind. 
Sexual sin begins in the mind. Didn't Jesus teach us that? Over in Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says these words, Matthew 5, verse 27, you have heard it said, by those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Jesus is telling us that sexual sin begins in the mind. Our minds are the greatest sexual organ in our body because our mind stimulates us to act in certain ways. If we give full rein to our thoughts, our mind will make choices for us. Our choices will develop character and our character will determine the quality of our lives and ultimately our eternal destiny. You see, Jesus is saying here that before a man gets into bed with a woman, if his eyes lust after her, he will mentally undress her in an anticipated act in his mind. The act itself will be preceded by mental engagement, which is often triggered by verbal or visual words or suggestive thoughts. In fact, that's why it's interesting that Solomon connects spoken words and suggestive thoughts to sexual sin. Did you notice that? Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. Speaking of the immoral woman, Solomon says this, the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of our God. Look at chapter five and verse three. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. Look at Proverbs seven, verse five, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. And if you skip over to chapter 22 and verse 14, you're going to see this. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. It's interesting to me. Here you have this woman. She's seductively dressed. She's baiting and badgering the young men of Israel to come and lie with her. And yet if you read this passage, Solomon concentrates often on her mouth, her lips, because you see, she's going to engage the young man's mind. Ever before she gets her hands around his body, she's going to engage him verbally. She's going to entice him visually. And it's going to begin up here. This is the greatest sexual organ, the mind. And what it thinks about, it makes choices about. And its choice leads to character. And character, depending on what character, has consequences. You know, I want you to write something down and think about it. In a sense, you can talk your way and you can think your way out of sexual sin or you can talk your way and think your way into sexual sin. That's why it's vitally important that we think about what we think about. That if you're a businessman and you're on the road, you've got to make some choices ever before you step into the lobby of the hotel. Because you know there's cable on the fifth floor in your room, which is an inlet to tremendous temptation. You've got to think and you've got to act out of a context where your mind is submitted to the word of God and the dictates and the commandments of God's precious will for our lives because it is there, there is satisfaction and safety. Our minds are a powerful ally in the war against sexual temptation. Proverbs 23, verse seven, as a man thinks, so is he. Our thoughts are critical. They, 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 they determine the direction of our lives and the decisions we make on a daily basis, our thoughts are critical and therefore Christians need to be critical thinkers. 
You need to be reading the Word of God. You need to be studying this subject. You need to have a rationale for your behavior that's rooted in the Word of God. That's why not to be theological is to expose yourself to sexual temptation. Not to read the Word of God on a daily basis is to open the portal of your life for the world to rush in. You've constantly got to be barricading your mind and your hearts with biblical thoughts. You've got to direct your mind because your mind will end up directing you. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, what does Paul say? He says, bring every thought into captivity. That's a job, isn't it? I mean, in this culture, with billboards and internet and television, sex is selling everything. Sex can be bought everywhere. To every day get up. And as Paul says, gird your mind, put on the helmet of salvation and say, okay, today I need to be alert. I need to be alive. The world is never far away. My heart is a traitor and I need to be thinking and therefore acting the way God would want me to think and act. You're not gonna do that without a fight. You're not gonna do that without discipline. You're not gonna do that if three hours of your day are spent sitting before a television and you spend 15 minutes in the word of God. It's just not gonna be able to be achieved. We need to renew our minds by bathing them in the sin-killing, life-issuing word of God. We need to bring our thoughts under the domination of the Spirit and the Word. That's how Jesus battled temptation. That's how Jesus secured victory. Jesus was able to rebut the advances of sin and the arguments of sin. You know that when he was tempted in the wilderness, Satan comes to him and he advances an argument. Here's what you need to do, Jesus. Here's what will happen. I'd encourage you to do it. And Jesus rebuts the advance of sin and he rebuts the argument of sin with other arguments. It is written. I can't do that. I won't do that. There's no wisdom in doing it. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm not going to give up the eternal joy that I've had and will have with the Father to bend the knee to you and the broken societies of this world. That's no inheritance for me. Jesus reasoned in the context of temptation. I think my mother was right and yours too, probably. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's what Solomon is saying to his son. He's telling him not to be a simpleton, not to act emotionally, not to react impulsively, but to act rationally. He, in fact, gives him an example. We don't have time to read it in Proverbs 7, verse 6, of a young man who unwittingly, unwisely walks down a certain street in a certain part of the town, bumps into a lady of the night and finds himself where he shouldn't find himself, doing what he shouldn't be doing. And look at how Solomon describes that. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. How did this young man fall into the arms of the seductress described in Proverbs 7? Read it. It is very suggestive. It is very raw, real. Why? Because he didn't think. And he got himself into all kinds of trouble. Our minds, as we close, must be constantly rehearsing biblical truths regarding sex and sexuality. We must, on a daily basis, win the argument with sin. We've got to constantly rehearse that sex is good and that it is a gift from a good God to His creation. 
But just like everything in God's creation, it's to be enjoyed in His time and His way. It's a good thing, but it's only good when it's done according to the will of God. I got to keep constantly rehearsing that because the world tells me it's a good thing anytime and in any way. It's not. It's ugly. It's grotesque and it's morally repugnant to a holy God. I've got to constantly rehearse that this body of mine is not for immorality, but for God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13. I just can't do with my body what it impulsively wants to do. I've got to subdue the old man. I've got to crucify the flesh. I've got to surrender this body to the will of God by the help of the Spirit of God. I can do it. I ought to do it. I must do it. I'm going to train this body of mine to do what God wants it to do. And you know what? I'm not left by myself to do that. The power of the indwelling Holy Spirit can be supplied to me as I surrender and repent. And I've got to do that every day because the world and the flesh and the devil don't take vacations. And I've got to constantly rehearse the arguments for why I must not sin in this area. I've got to remind myself of the heavy cost of compromise in this matter. Take some time today, read Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 15. Read Proverbs 6, verses 25 through 27. We'll just read those. Here's what it says. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, Proverbs 6, 25, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes be not burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet be not seared? So is he that goes to his neighbor's wife who touches her. He shall not be innocent. And it goes on to talk about the ramifications physically, psychologically, financially, socially, spiritually, eternally. Look, listen, there are no bargain basement prices when it comes to sin. We will pay and pay dearly. We will rack our marriage. We will hurt our children. We will wound the body of Christ. We will cause the world to laugh and mock our Savior. And we will make light of the cross because these are the sins. This is the behavior that Jesus died to forgive me of and to take out of my life. Got to keep rehearsing that. This is, it's a battle. It's tough, isn't it? It's a tough world to be holy in. One of the ways we can remain holy, we can stay pure, is to have our mind girded and guarded by those kind of thoughts. Let me finish with this story and we'll be done. On May 26th, 1941, a strange event occurred in the history of the German submarine U-566. The commanding officer of U-566 was a Lieutenant Woolforth. His U-boat was returning from some successful kills in the mid-Atlantic um, against some British merchant ships. When the lookout spotted in the horizon two enemy warships, that caused the U-boat to crash dive severely and quickly. It then resurfaced a little bit later, and with a sweep of the periscope, uh, they couldn't believe their eyes. It was a skipper's dream. They found themselves smack dab between two enemy warships. To the front of the U-boat was the British battleship, um, the renowned. To the rear of the submarine was the British aircraft carrier, the Ark Royal. I mean, you couldn't have wanted any more. And if you know anything about submarines, you'll know that they can fire torpedoes out of the front and fire torpedoes out of the back. And this lieutenant gave the order for the torpedoes to be launched. 
The only problem was there were no torpedoes left. They'd used them all in the killing of the merchant ships and sailors. Disappointed, they dived. What an opportunity was missed. An opportunity that would, would dramatically affect the war because as he looked through the periscope, he noticed on the deck of the Ark Royal, a couple of planes were being fueled for takeoff. One of those planes was fueled. It took off from the, the deck of the Ark Royal and one hour later, it spotted the Bismarck. And that was the ace card in the naval deck of the German forces. It had wreaked havoc among uh, the British Navy. This uh, plane dropped a torpedo that immobilized the rudder of the Bismarck. Didn't sink the ship, just caused it that it wasn't able to sail anymore. And there it sat. It radioed back the information with the coordinates. And before long, the British planes were bombing the Bismarck to a point that was now out of the war giving the British and the Allied forces a great upper hand. You say, Pastor, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is this, that you and I can find ourselves in a context where we're engaging the enemy and the enemy is engaging us. And when those moments come, you better be ready for a fight. You better have a round in the chamber. You better have your sights set correctly. And yet the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, as we close, too many Christians find themselves smack dab in the middle of sexual temptation and there's nothing in their tubes. They haven't filled their mind with the word of God. They haven't been on spiritual alert. They haven't walked in the spirit day by day. They haven't rehearsed on a regular basis why they need to stay pure. Not only because there's the cost of disobedience, but there's the rewards of obedience. And they become prey to the enemy. Or at best, they just don't ratch up a spiritual victory. They just kind of disappear again. This is a tremendous challenge to us. And I pray that you and I will heed what these sons of Solomon are being asked to heed. First of all, the call to submission. Well, it's not a new challenge to mankind, but we'll do well to heed the wise counsel from the book of Proverbs about resisting temptation. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to a message from Philip DeCourcy called Talking About the Birds and the Bees. Visit ktt.org to purchase a CD or USB copy of today's message or to access the audio file. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, welcome. We want to give you a free copy of Philip's new devotional booklet called Resting in God's Faithfulness, just for reaching out to us. Request your copy online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. Now, whether you are a new listener or a longtime listener, there is another resource we'd like you to have. It's titled, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do. It's an encouraging book that addresses anxiety over sin by reminding believers of the good news of the gospel. Written by Sam Storms, this book helps believers find freedom, joy, and peace in knowing what God has done and will never do with their sin through the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus. And this resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of Know the Truth. At Know the Truth, we're committed to proclaiming the truth of God's Word in order to encourage, equip, and engage believers to share the gospel wherever they are. And we do this through these daily Bible teaching broadcasts. But we can't do it without your help. We rely on the generosity of listeners like you to join with us in ministry. So please call 888-644-8811 
or give online at ktt.org. And don't forget to request your resources. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date on news, events, and resources from Know the Truth, then connect with us on social media. You'll find us on most major platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Tomorrow, we'll hear more wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Philip DeCourcy is talking about the birds and the bees right here Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mm -hmm.